Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. Glad that you could join us. I'm always glad when you can join us because we're trying to bring you shows that are going to elevate your level of education on really critical issues, not just going green and environmental issues, but things that actually affect the way you live every single day. And today's show is no exception. We're going to be talking about the lifeblood of our economy, of our way of life, and that is electricity. Um, even for folks who have solar panels up on their roof and they're practically off the grid, the fact is we all rely very heavily upon the, the systems that electricity feeds. And we don't have a lot of control over that. We're going to be talking with two experts today on where our electricity comes from, where some of the vulnerabilities are in our electricity system, and how energy storage, which is something that we've talked about a little bit on this show, may actually make our electric electricity system more stable, more secure. Uh, our first guest today is Byron Washam. His bio is incredible. You have to check it out on our page, uh, the Go Green Radio page. But I can also tell you this. He was named Fast Company Magazine's top 100 creative people. He was on that list, along with Lady Gaga and a lot of other great people that you may be familiar with. Byron is currently Currently, the very first director of uh, sustainable energy initiatives at the University of California, San Diego, and I'm thrilled to have him on. Byron, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you very much, Jill. It's great to be with you and your audience. Thank you. You know, a lot of our listeners share my concern regarding our nation's energy supply. And we've spent a good deal of time on this show talking about various forms of energy. But today, I really want to focus on electricity. And as the Director of Strategic Energy Initiatives at UC San Diego, I'd love for you to begin by giving us an overview of the work that the university is doing on this subject of our nation's electricity supply and security. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, first of all, we are, uh, as a campus, we're like a small community with a population of 45,000 people. And we right now self-generate 82% of our total energy needs. And then with the addition of a, f- a future uh, project I'll talk about shortly, we'll be up to 90%. And so we feel very comfortable in operating our own distribution system, uh, our circuits, our, our wires that uh, that bring us electricity from the generation to to the uh, end user down to the plug, 
as well as we import uh, about 18% of our electricity off the grid. So we have this nice balance between self-generation and, and grid reliance. And the reason we do that is uh, we have a tremendous responsibility to keeping the lights on and keeping our costs down. Uh, as an example, we have uh, two hospitals on campus that need to run 24-7 without fail. We have uh, a variety of uh, research by uh, different faculty members that represent a, a lifetime of, uh, of, of effort, which requires refrigeration. And uh, then we have the overbearing uh, burden of keeping our cost extremely low in order to not be a burden on tuition and be a burden on the state taxpayers and others. So, uh, and we do it with a mix of different technologies, from natural gas to solar. We're soon going to be using waste methane gas from our local sewage plant, and we're also going to be doing storage as well. That's fantastic. And I'm hoping that as some of these programs and initiatives roll out, maybe we can have you back on to talk about those various mixes and your portfolio of electricity generation um, as you roll those out. You know, one of the things that I think of, and again, you know, some of us have experienced either rolling blackouts or a power outage during a storm, and it's amazing how many things we don't think about actually run on electricity. For instance, clean water. You know, you want to turn on the tap. Well, the water pumps that, you know, that bring us that water to the tap run on electricity. If we want to go to the ATM and get some money out of the bank, that's electricity. So many things, um, you know, in our everyday lives are run on electricity. But the fact is, one of the things that's kind of a, a down low kind of uh, issue with our electricity supply and something that I haven't actually seen as much written about as I think maybe there should be, is the fact that the workforce that keeps that electricity system going is aging out. Um, and, of course, our universities are places where the new workforce of every generation is trained. Is there anything going on at UC San Diego or other universities that you know about to address this issue of the, the workforce that we're going to need to keep our electricity system going? Uh, well, yes, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about the aging of our workforce, of our transmission engineers or power engineers. Um, many universities have seen a, a downsizing of their academic programs because their students have been attracted into information technology and bioengineering. And, and so some of the best and the brightest have gone to the newer, newer more exciting fields than uh, electricity. But that is now beginning to reverse itself. And so of those programs, uh, academic programs that offer power engineering, uh, their graduates are being immediately snapped up. They're, they're being, um, uh, they have summer internships uh, long before they graduate. And so they're, they're, there's a very strong market from them because the, it's absolutely correct about the aging of uh, the workforce, particularly with utilities. But at the same time, part of that, uh, uh, part of those vacancies will be filled by those from the informational technology sectors, because we are getting 
more digital in our electricity, the way we generate it, the way we manage it, the way we deliver it, and the way we use it. And this digital energy system is what we call uh, the smart grid, and that is using more of our telecommunications and computing power to manage our grid more efficiently than just the typical supply of uh, energy and the end-use consumption. Right. And for all you moms and dads who are out there listening and you're thinking, gosh, in this economy, I'm reading about how recent college grads are having a tough time finding work in their field. If you have any influence over the field that your kids go into, what Byron said is very true. There are jobs for kids who are going into uh, power engineering. So that's just sort of an aside to some of our listeners who are uh, thinking long-term for their kids' sake. Byron, let's walk our listeners through the electricity system for a minute um, here in the U.S. and talk about some of the vulnerabilities along the way. Um, electricity, of course, is not a resource itself. It's created from other resources like coal, natural gas, nuclear, water, sun, wind, etc. These resources fuel electricity and, and the power plants that we know of. How much of our electricity supply relies upon imported fuel, Byron, and what does it take to keep these supply lines secure? Well, in terms of fuel supply for electricity, uh, we have uh, a modest amount for electricity. We have imports of natural gas from from both Canada as well as uh, Mexico, we have a very small amount of what's called liquefied natural gas, which, is, which are tankers which uh, liquefy a natural gas and sh- shrink it to one two hundred and sixtieth of its volume and bring it over to uh, the United States. We import uh, much of our uranium uh, from overseas, but we have a supply of uh, of, of uranium in in the country. So. From an electricity grid point of view, we are not at nearly as vulnerable as we are in our transportation sector, and that is where the petroleum uh, is this insatiable appetite that America has gained in the use of petroleum for transportation. That is why uh, many people, including this university, are looking to electrify our transportation system by going to electric vehicles, which uses batteries for storage as a power source, as well as uh, hybrid electric vehicles. And that is to relieve ourselves of the extreme vulnerability of uh, uh, to continuous secure supplies from friends of ours in, uh, in this world. And that number is dwindling. Well, and, and in addition to keeping the supply lines secure, as competition for those resources increases, as the developing countries, we call them the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, as their economies continue to grow and their need for some of the, these resources grows along with it, um, it's not just about keeping the supply lines secure with military forces or what have you, but it's about the price going up. I mean, if everybody's competing for the same finite natural resources, um, the, the sellers are in a sweet spot, are they not? That's, that's correct. And there's, it's the law of supply and demand. And, and uh, it, with OPEC, and the, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, 
it's really not a free market. Uh, they manage and set the quotas of production, and and so uh, they regulate the supply. And then you have all these various uh, countries w- w- with a with a booming economy and a lot of growth and a lot of a lot of new buyers of automobiles that are competing for those same uh, scarce resources. So yes, not only does the price go up. But as the dollar's value in the world economy goes down, that also raises uh, the price that we pay here in the United States. Now, it's good for us to know that we have a domestic source for a lot of our electricity. Um, And we've talked about that. We have a lot of coal. We have nuclear. We have water, sun, wind, all these things that we can produce electricity from here domestically. But let's talk about the supply lines within the country for just a second. I know that, you know, coal is being... uh, run by rail from western states to eastern states and what have you. Um, Do you feel like our nation's infrastructure is adequate for supplying fuel to our own domestic power plants, or are we we having difficulty with that, uh, with the supply lines here domestically? Well, uh, first of all, I think we're seeing a a major uh, transition in the way we generate electricity. In the past, we have been prone to have very large centralized plants close to the fuel source what that would generate the electricity in large scale and then wheel or transmit that over uh, tra- large uh, transmission lines to the cities and the villages and the factories and the homes uh, hundreds if not thousands of miles away. And that model is beginning to turn upside down, where we're looking more for what we call distributed generation. And that is where, as an example, a owner of a warehouse will use his uh, open and vacant rooftop for solar photovoltaics to produce uh, electricity for himself locally and bypass the transmission lines. And so more and more of our systems are going to be more local, more green, and more efficient because you do lose uh, in the transmission of electricity. You do lose uh, electricity off, uh, from an efficiency point of view during, during, that, during that transmission. Absolutely. We're going to talk about efficiency um, in our next segment because I think that's a, that's a component of our electricity system that a lot of folks don't realize. Um, they may hear of a, of a big solar you know, farm going in and it produces X number of megawatts, but how much of that is actually able to reach your plug is another issue. Um, we're going to have to take a quick commercial break, but folks, don't go away. There's so much more with Byron Washam, uh, Director of uh, Strategic Energy Initiatives at the University of California, San Diego. We have a lot to discuss about the electricity you use every day um, and, furthermore, what you can do um, in your own home, in your own business, in your own community to help secure that electricity system and how you can become more educated and Uh, interface with your utilities and those public policy decision makers who are making some critical decisions over the next few years about your electricity source. So don't go away, folks. After this commercial break, there's much more Go Green Radio.
news, opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest best the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to go green radio with your host jill buck jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too. save some trees and send us an email to go green radio at gmail.com that's go green radio at gmail.com now back to go green radio with your host jill buck Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad you could join us. We have Byron Washam. He is the Director of Strategic Energy Initiatives at the University of California, San Diego. And we've been talking about a variety of issues related to our electricity grid here in the U.S. And during the break, he and I were having a chat about something that's very exciting that's coming that will allow us to have a lot of control over the energy we consume. And Byron, give us a teaser on that. Tell us what's coming, because I I loved what you were saying while we were on the break. Well, the the day is rapidly approaching where there will be an iPhone app for your cell phone that will control uh, your home, your business, uh, or whatever that you use for electricity. And rather than just setting your thermostat or trying to figure out how to set your thermostat, your your iPhone app will simply bring up menus, give you your choices, and actually help you make a decision on what is the least expensive way for you to consume electricity for any given hour, any given day, or any given week. 
That's so cool. So you could actually control your your power uh, from while you're on vacation. If you could, if you could just get a connection with your 3G or wireless phone, that's so cool. Exactly, and it doesn't even have to be that dramatic. If uh, if if you're going to be um, your your plans change during the day, and you're now going to go out for dinner after work, you actually aren't going to start to heat your home or to cool your home until you arrive at 9 rather than you arrive at 6. So, that's uh, cool. And so, so that's three hours of energy savings uh, during the most expensive time of the day. That's fantastic. For all of my geeky friends and I who live on our iPhones, that is great news. Now, what about the infrastructure needed to deliver electricity once it's generated at power plants? I, I want to talk about our current transmission system there's some folks who say, you know, our transmission system is a little bit third world. It used to be great, and we haven't invested in it for a long time. Um, how does our current transmission system differ from what's called the smart grid? Well, um, you're correct in making the assessment that the, that our transmission system uh, is, is aging. And uh, when it was built, it was one of the most magnificent uh, infrastructures in the world, and due to uh, lack of new growth of new transmission, as well as what we call deferred maintenance, and that's just a a kind word of saying ignoring to repair what you know to be repair that needs to be repaired. We have arrived at a state where our transmission system is beginning to decay, and there is need to uh, expand it. Uh, primarily to bring in, in some cases, renewable energy sources from areas that previously did not generate electricity, as well as there are uh, pockets of growth where there was not a demand in the past, particularly in the Southwest. And so uh, there's a lot of investment to be done. But when we do it, we need to build it with the new technology the efficient technology in an environmentally beneficial way to the maximum extent possible. Well, and we're going to get into this later in the show, but, um, you know, I feel like so many shows for Go Green Radio, when we talk about even things like water or food production, uh, we run into ultimately issues of, you know, decaying infrastructure. And um, it really feels like this, you know, the electricity grid is only one of, of many systems that we have in this country, our transportation, transportation system being another, where we have just not kept up our, our home maintenance, so to speak. It's kind of like buying a house and, you know, not replacing the roof for 50 years. And, uh, oh, gosh, it leaks. What do you know? Um, and, and I feel like this is an ongoing issue with so many of the systems in the U.S. And then we get so far behind, and it becomes sort of daunting to think about how we might pay for it. Is that something that you all are looking into um, at the university as well? Uh, not so much in the transmission approach. Uh, we're more involved in the local distribution approach, like ourselves, where mm -hmm. uh, we import natural gas through pipelines. We will in the future be importing uh, uh, biogas that is made from a renewable source. Uh, we have a lot of uh, solar energy uh, on campus and off campus. 
uh, we're heavily engaged in what we call solar forecasting, which we, in essence, predict exactly when different types of clouds are going to be coming over our solar uh, panels. And so we can anticipate that variation. So uh, we're, we're in this nice little balance of being mm-hmm. able to be self-sufficient, reliable, secure, as well as manage almost on an instantaneous basis, this balance. Uh, So we're approaching it from the different end, and others are approaching it from the old model of centralized plants with long transmission lines. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know that when we get into renewables, that makes a lot of sense, and it, it is a, a difficult equation to balance because, for instance, when we look at increasing our renewable energy portfolio to include more solar, to include more wind, first of all, those two types of technologies take up a lot of real estate, and oftentimes where you can put in uh, enough solar or enough wind to really make a difference particularly like in an urban um, electricity demand scenario, um, you've got to put them kind of far away from the actual plugs where that electricity is going to be used. And hence, how do you move it from where it's windy, you know, way out in a field somewhere, where it's very sunny with no buildings to cast a shadow into the, you know, transmission or into the distribution area? Um, you know, and, and is that where energy storage comes into play? Talk about how that, you know, energy storage interfaces with our desire to increase our wind and solar uh, portfolio. Well, the energy storage, uh, you should think of it as a sh- uh, shock absorber on your car. It smooths out the ride that you have in delivering energy. There are times when there's a surplus, and what do you do with the surplus on the grid? Because electricity moves at the speed of light and must be consumed instantaneously. So you need that shock absorber to take that surplus energy on the momentarily or hourly or maybe a half-day basis. And then it also needs to be able to discharge when there is a shortage of electricity on the grid. So in the past, we've always been this supply and demand equation, and we've never really utilized, except for hydroelectric or pumped hydroelectric, the concept of energy storage. And that is radically changing. And this is a major field of the future, because not only are there a diversity of types of energy storage, But within each type of storage, there's a wide competition globally for uh, the different chemical approach or mechanical approach or thermal approach. So this is the next, really, the the next big market for the energy sector is the notion of energy storage. You know, I've read about a lot of technologies uh, that are out there to accomplish this mission of energy storage. We've heard about batteries, uh, flywheels, etc. Of all of those various technologies, Byron, which ones do you find most promising and why? Well, I, I would say uh, well, one of the most promising, uh, that is the least appreciated, is what we call compressed air storage. And that can be at a very small scale. And for those of you who use uh, uh, 
uh, air pressure systems uh, where they store uh, air in a container and then just discharge when you need it. I think that scale in the future is going to be very large from underground caverns to very small next to uh, gas turbine plants. And most of the power that it takes to compress air is is surplus power. And so I, I find that's attractive, and, and not too many people know about it. The other area, and it's primarily dr- driven by the electric vehicle, is in the the lithium-ion battery uh, chemistry that is being used to uh, power the electric vehicles of the future. So much effort and uh, technology and venture capital is going into this field, and it's uh, quite reasonable to say is when they make the breakthroughs that are necessary for those electric vehicle batteries, that same technology is going to come over into the home market, commercial, industrial, and even the utility level scale. So those are the two areas I'm most excited about. Well, thank you so much, Byron, and thank you for joining us on Go Green Radio. Folks, we're going to be taking a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have Janice Lynn to talk about some of the public policy pieces uh, that are associated with energy storage. So don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a leader who needs to become better and more consistent? Are you someone who's trying to be a leader but can't seem to get to that level despite seemingly doing everything right? Tune in to Leadership Every Day with your host, Marguerite Calloway. Marguerite and her guests will spotlight proven leadership traits, capabilities, and experiences designed to help you become a leader or a better leader. Listen for Leadership Every Day, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 1600 hours in South Africa, on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We just had a fantastic time talking with Byron Wansham about our electricity grid, and he got into some energy storage issues. Um, and we now have the co-founder of the California Energy Storage Alliance. It was founded in 2009. Her name is Janice Lynn, and I'm so excited to have her on. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Janice. Thank you, Jill. It's really great to be here today. Well, you're doing some very important work, and I was out on your website uh, just this week, and one of the phrases that really jumped off the screen at me and caught my attention was this uh, phrase that you have up there, current policy has not kept pace with advances in energy storage. Now, a lot of people think that California public policy is pretty cutting edge when it comes to green issues like energy, but maybe that's not necessarily true. Uh, talk to us more about why you decided to form the California Energy Storage Alliance and why it's true that current policy hasn't kept pace with advances in energy storage. Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. So have you ever heard this adage, what you focus on is what you get? I mean, it's really true in all facets of our lives. And uh, it's really true in energy policy. And if you look at our electric power system, we have our regulation of the electric power system really covers four main areas, transmission, distribution, generation or supply, and demand. And um, what's interesting about these four areas is there's a lot of rules that are in place that determine um, how such technologies get into the marketplace, how you're compensated. And the interesting thing you'll notice about those four categories is that, you know, nowhere does it say any storage. Right. And um, I'm sure you guys talked about it this morning, but one of the beauties about inner storage is that it's such a diverse asset class that it can fit in any one of these four categories. And as a result, you know, we storage itself does not have a home because there's no particular category called energy storage. It's really this amazing asset class that can optimize the whole system. And because we have not had a regulatory focus on storage, we have not had any progress. So that's what we mean when we say current policy is not kept pace with advances. And um, so on, on that point, on advances in energy storage, energy storage also is kind of a little, you know, sort of misunderstood asset class. But there are some technologies that are very advanced, very mature, have been around for decades and decades. Um, uh, however, they just haven't necessarily been used in the electric power system. So, and there are also many, many new types. I think Byron mentioned compressed air, uh, modular compressed air that can be applied in the system. So we've got a mixture of mature technologies, emerging technologies, but it's all new in being applied to the grid. And um, part of the reason that uh, Don Liddell, he's our regulatory attorney and general counsel, that we fitted CISA was that we noticed that there was this amazing class of technologies, and many of which are commercially ready, viable to in use in many other applications around the world, like electronics, mobile transport, um, cars, trucks, you name it. Um, but they just, 
they just can't seem to get into the electric power system because our rules aren't set up to um, allow them to participate on an equal footing. And that's what CISA is all about. We're leveling the playing field and endeavoring to change how policymakers and regulators think about our electric power system so they can add energy storage to their toolkit. Well, and that's definitely something that I think everyday voters and consumers need to be aware of because, of course, um, we're a democracy. We have a chance to influence the folks who are making that public policy, and that's something that we should all be looking to organizations like yours for guidance on how to do that. Folks, we're going to take a quick, quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with Janice Lynn and more about the California Energy Storage Alliance and some of the success stories that they've had. Don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Healing occurs from the inside out. To awaken and activate the body's healing mechanisms, your emotions and thought patterns must be addressed and aligned with your truth. These concepts are discussed in detail on The Light Within, Awakening the Inner Healer, with host Joan Jacobs. We'll introduce you to a new way to interpret and address your body's language of symptoms and how to turn disease into a platform of profound personal growth. Tune in to The Light Within, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Starting June 6th, our show moves to Mondays at 10 a.m. Be sure to tune in at our new time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're joined by Janice Lynn. She's got this incredible biography, and I'm encouraging all of you to get on the Go Green Radio website and check it out. Very accomplished, um, professional, and I'm just so glad that she could join us on Go Green Radio. Janice, your organization, the California Energy Storage Alliance, uh, which you co-founded in 2009, has had two pretty huge success stories, the California Self-Generation Initiative Program and also the enactment of Assembly Bill 2514. Won't you share these success stories with our listeners? Because they're pretty cutting edge. Sure. 
Sure. So um, our involvement with the Self-Generation Incentive Program really started way back in 2005 when we were doing um, uh, consulting work for some storage companies for how to enter the California market. And it became clear early on that um, what storage really needed was to the ability to participate on an equal footing in California as many other energy storage technologies. And um, the Self-Generation Incentive Program is, has a long history here in California. It was the original program that provided incentives to distributed solar and many other distributed energy resources. So naturally, it was a perfect home for storage. We worked um, for three years administratively with the Public Utilities Commission and were able to administratively amend the rules so that storage could participate, provided, and here is the loophole, it was only allowed to participate if coupled with eligible technologies. And at the time, um, that program only provided funding to distributed wind and fuel cells. So since then, we um, helped enact another law, Senate Bill 412, which um, restored the PUC's authority to determine additional technologies or other technologies into this program, and that that bill is still being implemented, and our hope is that energy storage, even if it's not coupled with anything, can be eligible for incentives, as well as energy storage if it's coupled with solar. So um, the reason such commercialization programs are so critical for new applications of grid storage technologies is this is an industry that's traditionally very conservative, and that extra little incentive encourages consumer adoption, especially consumers. So this program specifically provides incentives for distributed energy resources on the customer side of the meter, and that's the toehold. These are the beachhead projects that we'll look back on in history and say, wow, that's what got it all started. So it's the first step. The reason you had also mentioned Assembly Bill 2514, which was enacted last fall, um, this bill was the brainchild of then Attorney General Brown, who's now Governor Brown, and Assembly Member Nancy Skinner. And um, both of these visionary leaders really understand how our electric power system works and the potential benefits for energy storage to improve the overall efficiency of the system itself. And um, so uh, Attorney General Brown was a sponsor. Assembly Member Nancy Skinner was the author and we worked closely with them last year to um, help get this bill enacted. The reason this bill is significant and what the bill does is it requires the PUC to open a proceeding to look at applications of storage and consider procurement targets for utilities. And uh, earlier I said that storage, the problem that we haven't made more, the reason we haven't made more progress with energy storage is we don't have a home from a regulatory standpoint. We don't fit in transmission, distribution, generation, or supply. We actually fit in all those categories, but when you fit everywhere but there's no focus specifically on you, you, you end up being like the 300th priority. So right. with this bill, we for the first time, and by the way, it's the first piece of storage legislation enacted anywhere in the country um, as far as we know. But wow. with this bill, we now for the first time have the regulatory focus that we will need to take advantage of all the benefits of storage in its cross-cutting applications across those silos and, um, and make it happen. So it's what so, we've been needing all along. 
So Janice, you know, I'm going to spend the weekend on the soccer field and in the hockey rink watching my kids play sports and some of my soccer mom and hockey mom friends are listening to us right now. For those of of my buddies who are wondering why should I care about energy storage, help us understand the impact on the average electricity consumer, the average voter, um, why energy storage is so important to everyday people. Why should they care? And furthermore, why should they be talking to their state assembly or state senators about supporting this kind of legislation? That's a really great question. And I have to say, I'm a soccer mom, too. I got two kids. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a really, um, this energy storage is an issue that I am personally very passionate about. And there's really a short-term reason and a long-term reason why I think everybody in this country should care and care deeply. The short-term reason is that energy storage will lower your electric bill. When you think about how much money is being put into the system, in California alone, we have probably 80 to $100 billion invested cumulatively in our transmission and distribution system. Wow. Annually, we put in another, I would say, anywhere from 4 to $6 billion. This is incremental spend every year. And this is a system that's built to supply... to. to all this capacity is built to meet consumer demand for a few hours during the summertime. If we had storage in the system, a little bit of inventory, we can take that system, improve its utilization, and save so much money. Not only that, but in the course of saving money, all of that generation that's being used in the summertime and the, those few hours when it's really hot, that's the most polluting fossil generation that we can buy. So optimizing the system in the short term will save us money and improve air quality. The long-term reason is that we are a country that's completely reliant on imported fossil fuels. We have abundant renewable energy here at home, and with energy storage, we can accelerate and expand our use of renewable energy in a way that delivers more value, integrates with the grid. It's the future. So... If you can imagine a world where we have less conflict in the Middle East, we're more energy secure and self-reliant, this is the way to do it. Well, all of that sounds not just reasonable, but imperative. And I think that, you know, engaging everyday people in the advocacy piece of what you do um, is something that, that I, I know that a lot of our listeners would like to get involved with. You know, I'm looking on your website right now, and I'm looking at your list of steering committee members, general members, and what you call friends of um, the California Energy Storage Alliance. And there's some folks I don't see. I don't see Pacific Gas and Electric. I don't see San Diego Gas and Electric. I don't see Edison. And I don't see SMUD. Where are the utilities on this issue of energy storage? You know, utilities are actually very supportive and interested in energy storage. Um, they uh, Many are in the process of implementing demonstration projects on their own. They're studying it. I know Southern California Edison has just completed a pretty in-depth um, strategic study of storage throughout their system that lasted two years. So the utilities are, um, I would say, quite universally interested and focused on this. Um, adoption, however, of any new technology among utilities is a slow process. I mean, their job is to be very conservative, keep the lights on. So the good news is that the utilities are our friend, and we 
continually look for proactive ways to work collaboratively with them and mm-hmm. to help identify the initial applications of storage on the grid that will yield the greatest value for your utilities and therefore for ratepayers. How about the California Public Utilities Commission? Where are they on energy storage? It really seems like uh, maybe they should have a, a big role in this. Well, I think the um, most significant uh, feedback that we've gotten from the PUC is um, in response to and how they're implementing AB 2514, our storage bill. In that bill, that, um, as I said, uh, the PUC is required to open a proceeding. Now, they weren't required to actually open this proceeding until the fall of 2012. Well, guess what? In March, um, that proceeding was kicked off, and they're going like gangbusters. We're hoping to see workshops this summer. And, um, you know, what we're hearing from the commission is that, you know, we are interested in storage because we have issues in California. We have many issues, and Mm -hmm. many of the energy issues that we're facing could potentially be resolved with storage. So, um, at least my read on it is that's why they're accelerating things even above and beyond what the legislation calls for. You know, a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners don't live in California, but a lot of them look to California public policy for sort of the, you know, the standard bearer of or the even the canary in the coal mine of what's coming in terms of public policy on these types of issues. What's going on in other states and, and also what's going on at the federal level when it comes to energy storage? So that's a great question. So um, we our uh, advocacy group was the first here in California, but since um, thesis formation, there is another organization in Texas called the Texas Energy Storage Alliance, or TISA, mm-hmm. um, the Electricity Storage Association, which is the industry um, trade association that's been in existence for a long time, just formed a federal advocacy group, which we're very excited about, called the ESA's Advocacy Council. Um, and um, all of these groups, I think, going forward will work more collaboratively. Our hope is that someday in the near future, there will be a state-level organization working closely with the ESA federally because... Um, As we know, a lot of the policy action happens at the state level, but to really make the value proposition work, similar to the solar industry, the wind industry, fuel cells, you need federal policy that's consistent and supportive and reinforcing of state policy. And our primary priority federally is to obtain tax credits for energy storage, similar to what's already being provided to solar, wind, and fuel cells. And we're hoping, keep your fingers crossed, that we'll see some new legislation this year um, from the federal government that will make that happen. Well, and and that's so critical because if you think about how, I mean, think about something like the state of Ohio. They're not that sunny, they're not that windy, but they could play a significant role in transmission. They're, you know, in most places in the state of Ohio, they're about 600 miles from, you know, a, a good percentage of the you know, the majority of the United States population. So while they may not be able to generate renewable energy, they could play a role in storing it, transmitting it, you know, and, and it really is going to take this interstate cooperation to make the grid work. And whether that's, you know, transmission, distribution, whether that's generation, it's also about energy storage as well. We're going to have to have some kind of federal 
overlay to this policy so that we can really maximize uh, the, the energy that we're generating and minimize the inefficiencies in the system, don't you think? Yes, that's a great point. And I forgot to mention that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, has been very actively looking at storage for the last two years. Um, about a year ago, they actually issued a request for comment specifically on storage and how it should be classified. Is it transmission? Is it distribution? <laughs> Is it generation right. demand? Um, and um, evaluating ways it can be compensated. So to the extent that FERC gets involved and um, sets forth some, uh, I don't want to call it standards, but maybe some consistency in how storage should be treated. Mm -hmm. um, our view is that storage is deserving of its own asset class and its right. own set of rules. It comes back to that focus issue. We will mm -hmm. start to see more progress happening in states all across the country. And, and there is a role for storage everywhere, whether there's renewable energy or not, because it can be used for transmission and it right. can be used for distribution. It can be used in lieu of dirty natural gas peakers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and every mother of a child with asthma can appreciate uh, what we're talking about there. I mean, when, you know, we, we run short of electricity on a hot summer day or a freezing winter day and we're all running our heat, if it's not on natural gas, uh, when we run that electricity uh, and, and create more demand than the than the grid normally has to support, then we run peaker plants, which are oftentimes run on the dirtiest of fuels, um, and so often coal or what have you. Now, one of the things that I know you probably ran into when you were trying to pass AB 2514 uh, and issues that we're going to reach with the federal government any time that we talk about something that deals with money is who is going to pay for this? Our infrastructure needs work. We need a lot of work on our electricity system. It's vital, but it all comes down to the Jerry Maguire of it all. Show me the money. Where are we going to get the funding, especially in the economy that we're in right now, Janice? Who's going to pay for all this? I think that's a great question. And um, the, the reality is that storage, we, we already spend a lot of money on our electric power system, on infrastructure, on new generation, and the presumption is that storage is going to cost a lot more. But the reality is that now that we're starting to focus on it, what we will soon learn is that using energy storage in lieu of the status quo solution, whether that's building out a super expensive new transmission or distribution line or building a super expensive and polluting gas peaker, we will find that storage is actually cheaper than what we're already doing today. What we need to do is build up our muscle in changing our perspective of how we think about it. And I would encourage um, all your listeners to visit our website, which is www.storagealliance.org, and we've written two white papers that take storage in two applications. One is um, comparing it to a peaker plant, and another is using storage in lieu of, of um, fossil-generated frequency regulation for the grid. And we show in an apples-to-apples -apples comparison that commercially available storage today is cheaper than that dirty fossil fuel alternative. Hmm. Um, so it's just uh, changing uh, really the, how we look at the grid 
Um, we've never used storage, so we don't, in California, we don't have a cost-benefit methodology for how to evaluate storage. And so the presumption is it's more expensive, but it's not. Well, and I think this is something that, you know, not just our public policymakers, but everyday consumers and everyday voters um, need to to get smarter on because, um, you know, here in California, our population is growing. Um, our demand for electricity is not going down. It's only going up. And, um, you know, we need to be looking at environmentally friendly, cost-effective, and secure ways of creating the electricity we need, not just for our lives, but also to power the manufacturing or whatever kinds of industries we can attract to the state to create jobs. I mean, electricity is truly the lifeblood of all of the things that we need in order to continue to enjoy the standard of living that we do. And that's not just true in California. That's true everywhere. And uh, energy storage is a huge component of what we need to move into the future. It's kind of uh, something that we can do to provide our children with a bright and modern future when it comes to their electricity systems. I want to thank you, Janice, for joining us on Go Green Radio and congratulate you on the work that you're doing. Um, For those of you who may have joined us late, do not fret because this episode of Go Green Radio will replay next Tuesday on the Green Living Channel. If you're out on voiceamerica.com and you go to the Green Living Channel next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon on the East Coast, we're going to play this same episode over once more. So tell all your friends to tune in. This is a really hot topic. And I I told our guests early on that trying to cover this subject matter in one hour is kind of like trying to fit a watermelon into a Coke bottle. But consider this a teaser for episodes to come. Um, We need our electricity transmission system and our generation system to come up to speed for the 21st century and meet our needs. So we'll be covering this more and more. Thank you all for joining us on Go Green Radio this week. There's more where we left off next week, same time, same place. Until then, have a wonderful week and go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.